Welcome to Pop On Leadership, a conversation between two friends who are obsessed with leadership development and helping people navigate their careers within organizations and also obsessed with pop culture. I'm Virginia Martinez. And my name's Kara Kirby. Together we have over 20 years of working inside of organizations and now we both work outside with companies all over the world helping them drive their people first practices. This first season of Pop On Leadership is dedicated to a show called Ted Lasso. We're going to walk through the first 10 episodes unpacking all the leadership lessons along the way. So let's get into it. So you said you had a funny story to share. Okay, so I have had like a super busy week, so I didn't get a chance to rewatch this episode until this morning. And so I just I got my time all jumbled. So I was watching it at 10. And I was like, it's a I'm gonna go straight from watching this episode to talking about it on our podcast. And because I like to do that sometimes, just, yeah. I don't know, just gets me in the Ted Lasso mood. So this episode is so sad that I'm like mm. sobbing on my couch <laughs> and I'm just like, just like, I'm just like all up in my feelings and yeah. I'm crying in that last scene with his wife Yeah. and I'm like, all right, and you know, this is fine. I'm going straight into the podcast. So I'll like be, all my emotions will be fresh. And I looked down at my clock and I was like, shit, I have a client meeting, right? <laughs> oh no. So you went in emotional. Well, I mean, when don't we bring some emotion to those client meetings? Oh. I'm like running upstairs, like getting my mascara off my face. Oh, oh. And I was like, hello, I'm fine. Yeah, you're oh, my camera's off for a second because uh... <laughs> um, it is a very tender episode. So this episode five um, is the one where there's a couple of things, but it's the sort of where Ted's family comes to visit him. And so we've 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 known or we have questions about why would Ted just pick up and move to to England and leave his family behind? We kind of have heard some hints that there's been some challenges in his marriage. Um, but we also know through the past four episodes, like how much he just like loves his family, right? He brings it up and yada, yada. Um, so Ted's family comes to visit. That's a big theme in this episode five, as well as Jamie Tart getting benched. So where we last left off was at, at the gala, right? And when it wraps up, um, there's a couple of things that sort of carry through into this next episode is that Rebecca's like softening a bit, right? She went from like really having this hard exterior, being really worried that people are going to think she's incompetent or not respect her. And so she was sort of leading with this iron fist. And we see that softening both with Ted and with Keely. And so the episode opens up and they're having, it's the first biscuits with the boss where it actually feels mm -hmm. like it's a real dialogue. It's not like she's just barely tolerating him you see her starting to kind of enjoy it and that's a really sweet thing the other big theme in this um or sort of moment rather is um while jamie and roy managed to resolve some tension at that gala the still the tension that is still unresolved is between jamie and sam mm -hmm. jamie's still sort of showing up as um a know-it-all sort of main character energy stealing like refusing to pass the ball quite literally and figuratively um and so that kind of comes to a head and it's all within um sort of the storyline of ted seeing him with his family 
Um, so, okay, you said it was a very tender episode. It is. Yes, it's such a tender episode. And I and I, I'm curious to see if you have the same reaction, but I, as a mother watching, like when I first started watching Ted Lasso, it was, it, there were conflicting feelings for me because in my head, I, I was, I was thinking what could cause somebody to make that decision, hmm. right? Like it almost made me have conflicting feelings about Ted Lasso where I was like, you I mean really pick up and move to just a different continent? And just not be not be with your child like for that period of time was it, it put some conflicting f- feelings in mm. me because because I mean I honestly I don't know what it would take right but we also didn't understand his situation at home and he quite literally needed to give space to the situation and I think that at the end of this episode we can talk about this concept of he he makes this comment where he says I'm never going to quit anything mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'm going to I want to save that till the end of this episode because I think that that concept is really pervasive, like inside of our culture of no matter what it is, I'm never going to give up. And we look at that as such like a positive emotion and way of being, but sometimes there's a shadow to it as well. So, so yeah, so let's, uh, yeah, it was a tender episode that that scene where he's sleeping in the bed with his family and everybody's just happy in a family. It's, yeah, it's it, it for the viewer. It's a lot. Yeah. Maybe let's get okay, because it's gonna be so tender and we're gonna talk about it. Let's sort of let's talk, talk about, about what an asshole Jamie Tart is. Yeah, so <laughs> and 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 yes, yes. Unskilled. That's how I like to talk about that behavior. Uh-huh. It's, <laughs> it's unrealized and unskilled. But what I think is really interesting, like this is no surprise, Jamie still continues to behave the way he's behaving. We also like put up in sort of in comparison with Sam, who's like the sweetest, the and best, the, the most generous and the biggest heart, like putting those two together is a very interesting side by side comparison versus Jamie next to Roy, because you're like, well, like, okay, they both have things they need to like, deal with and let go of. But you're like, Sam, you're perfect. <laughs> you <know? laughs> you're literally perfect. Um, but, you know, probably not. He can stick up for himself a little bit more and all those good things. Yes. But, right, yes, we can kind of go into Sam a little bit too. But it just, man, like, it really punctuated just how terrible Jamie is in that comparison to Sam. Because you're like, if you can't... So what happens is, at some point in a game, um, Sam falls we don't know if he hurts himself and jamie like doesn't care he just like steps over him takes the ball and then a little you know um team within their own team they start fighting because they're like you don't treat a teammate that way and it was during a game it's live it's happening with this full stadium and i think that's the moment where ted's like all right look it's been bad enough that this stuff happens during practice but here I am and it's happening like on a world stage. The team is obviously reacting a certain way. I ha- I have to now put on my pants as the boss mm-hmm. and make a really tough call. Yeah, absolutely. And bef- and before that scene too, I, I think that 
it was really interesting because what, what Jamie symbolizes is the high performer. So I always think of a sales team is that you have somebody who is the absolute best salesperson on your team. And in a lot of organizations, that person can get away with so much because they're bringing in so much money and so much revenue into the organization. So uh, and I have, I've, I've, I've worked at the best companies, get rated all of the great things and this was still alive and well yeah. where you had really bad behavior but somebody was selling they were so yeah. skilled that that people were just like okay we'll just keep doing what you're doing because you're so important to the organization and the right thing to do is leaders to say i don't care about how good of a performer you are if you have detrimental behavior you don't get to be on this team and so ted does that and it's such a it's such a moment for him of yes yes i i agree with you and yes and um i do think in those positions where you are held accountable to how much profit you're bringing it. Now, we can sit here and argue whether that's the right thing to, to prioritize <laughs> or not. But there are people that are like, my livelihood depends on how much profit this team brings in. And I'm in a really tough position because this guy's mm -hmm. an asshole and really making it a toxic culture. And people are leaving and they're not even performing their best because and it's like our only chance of winning to some extent, whether it's mm -hmm. on the field or, or in, in profits. What I think is really hard in that moment is to see the trade-offs of short-term gain, in this case profit, versus long-term, like you're going to have a revolving door of a team. It's going to be really hard to staff up. Your team's going to get a reputation. Every time you have a vacancy on your team, it's going to take you how long to replace them, rank, get them up to speed. It will. So the, yes, short-term profit and gain, but over the long-term, like it's going to deteriorate your team. You're not going to be able to sustain those profits because like you need the whole team running. So, And I think that's a really hard, like to use the sales team example that they struggle with. And I suspect Ted Lasso in this moment too, like I could leave him in. He might get me another goal. We're no longer an embarrassment, but what are going to be the long-term ripple effects on the team if I, in this moment, allow this? Yeah, if you have a if you have that toxicity inside of a culture and and I see this happen a lot, you can go and preach a great culture and that you're people oriented and your and your culture is rooted in all these like integrity and honesty and you know and, and all these very deep values but but people don't care if it's on a wall they care yeah. about the the examples and the models so if so to your point yes it's going to cost all of all of this bad stuff to happen in an organization but it also makes it so that there's not a collective drive towards those values because they're seeing those examples and those models inside the organization and it being okay so yeah. it doesn't matter what's on a wall it matters how people are living out those values inside of your collection of human beings that is working together yeah i mean it reminds me like a, a big topic that comes up with clients sometimes is like hey what's your purpose and they're like oh well we create these things and they tell me the what right <laughs> and i and i'm sure i've talked about this before but your purpose should be like why do you exist why do you do what you do beyond making money and most here's the thing most teams most organizations cannot answer that and i'm not saying that being profitable is is bad it is a measure of of you're doing well 
But it's hard to always rally around that. Like, imagine Absolutely. if Ted Lasso's like, the only reason we exist is to win. Same thing. Like, um, well, rather, like, the reason we exist is to make Richmond, the town, proud of us. And that could be mm-hmm. like, that opens Ooh, that up. Well, chills. Right. They could be proud of you for a bunch of different reasons. That's very different. Um, winning is great. But, like... You need people to rally around something, to your point, that's not always a dollar sign or wins. In in my last organization, it was a human capital management organization, which is not a sexy department. (laughs) Speak for yourself. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) I mean, it was like payroll software and like Mm. lots of other. I mean, I thought it was sexy, but sometimes it doesn't on the outside, not as sexy. But it... The thing that people rallied behind was that it was such a beautiful place to work Mm -hmm. that the more that the company grew, it meant that we could take people out of their toxic companies and give them a home where they could thrive. And and the the more success the company um, started to gain, we were able to provide for the community and do all of these beautiful things. And the leader of that organization had such a big heart. And so like if anything in the world was happening, because of the success of the company, we were able to get involved. Like if there was like a hurricane, mm-hmm. we were donating money, right? So every single person in that organization was rallied behind the good the organization was doing mm-hmm. by that success. Mm-hmm. So I always offer that up to like companies is that it doesn't, you don't have to be like Tom's shoes, right? It doesn't need, your mission <laughs> doesn't need to be like, if you buy this shoe, somebody else gets a shoe. It can be that your group of people, the more successful that company is, the 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 more positive of an impact you're making on the world and on your community what i love about that is like success is not the final destination it's almost like okay well and then now what are we going to do with this what are we going to how are we going to channel this right like once you have that level of success or notoriety or what have you like it's a platform what are you going to do with that right um i think that's very nice that people can get excited about that um, we had a we had an activity where on their first day we would have them throw away all of the toxic things that had happened to them in corporate yeah. America inside of a trash can. <laughs> yeah, I mean we still people are so people are I think so that's a abused. nice like daily I think that's a nice even daily ritual like grab a piece of paper <laughs> write down all the things and then just like rip it up put it in the garbage like let it go let it go you yeah. know they teach that to kids now my kids were taught that like. If someone says something mean to you, like pretend it's a piece of garbage that you pick up off the floor and like, oh, I throw, love it. throw it in your imaginary pail. Yeah. So um, there's something about that. However, related to that. So what I love about this moment, too, is that Ted Lasso is kind of has to be the bad guy. He knows mm-hmm. people are going to get upset with him, which we've seen that like, yes, he's sort of true to himself, but he Ted Lasso likes being liked. Um, and this sort of relates a little bit to that storyline with his wife, where um, where we find out basically like they've been having trouble. He left to give her some space. She's been trying to make the marriage work. She's sort of like the, the spark is gone, but she's really trying hard because she does care for him. He's a really nice guy, as we know. They have a kid together. They have a whole family together. Um, but it's just not the same. She feels like she's really forcing herself. And he doesn't like that. He doesn't want people to, like, force themselves to like him. So it's very interesting, right? He likes being liked. And here we have um, this episode where he has to make this tough call, knowing that people are going to be really angry with him, 
with this backdrop of his wife feeling forced to like <laughs> um and so for me it brings up she says something in here like it's just like his optimism like exhausts her mm-hmm. and it reminds me a lot of um optimism is great right but we there's this whole thing that we hear a lot about now like toxic positivity and how that shows up and how um it really if you're on the receiving end of it all the time you feel like your thoughts and feelings are invalidated mm -hmm. have you ever experienced any of that i think i'm actually the person who makes other people experience <laughs> stay away from people that are like like me because like I get annoyed by them so it's like I'm never on the receiving end but I I, I actually think this is something I've had to combat in my life mm -hmm. right um, and I mean I don't want to go too deep on here but like I had a tough childhood I was raised by a single mom and when whenever you have a when you do have a tough childhood that's a coping mechanism mm -hmm. is something called magical thinking mm -hmm. so you you are you because you can't deal with the world around you, you get into your head and you think about all of the beautiful things that your life is going to be in the future. And that's where you like to exist so you don't have to deal with your present. And when I learned that, it was like the biggest aha moment for me of so where my mind likes to go because it's like if anything bad happens to me i'm automatic like that's where it wants to go because that's its survival tactic mm -hmm. and and i have to get it out of that because i'm like no that's just like that's just your dysfunctional childhood no. coming through <laughs> right so i because it's hard for me it's hard for me to be like this sucks and i'm sad and i'm depressed right now I, like these human emotions because i'm combating the survival tactic of if if, if I'm everything will be great. Everything's wonderful. The whole world is wonderful. When when that's not what life is. Life is up and downs, and it's yeah. okay to experience all of that. And sometimes when you get sad, it makes your happy moments even happier. Oh, so absolutely. Like how do you like you need to sort of counterbalance it so that you really appreciate those moments, right? Yeah. Um. So I think that, and I think that, and we find out later on from Ted that Ted really hasn't gone through that evolution. He hasn't let himself feel sad feelings and come to grips with the fact that he had some messed up things happen to him, yeah. right? Like he, he, I think he lives in a state of magical thinking. And while it is very, it's very attractive and it's really beautiful for the viewers to watch, he's got some demons that are inside of him that we see really come out later on that are, are destroying him from the inside yeah i mean he represses like what happens is like if you're really not processing any sort of negative feelings or emotion like where do they go they don't disappear so they get yeah. buried and bottled and we see some of that with ted where it comes out he he ends up having some anxiety panic attacks um we learn a little bit later on sort of how his relationship with his father and how much it meant and that he passed away you know when he was a teenager and but and I, and he hasn't processed like he's an adult, you know, he's, mm -hmm. you know, he's a grown adult and has never really processed the passing of his father. But and so as his wife, I mean, I can only imagine she's trying to have she's probably spent her, their entire marriage trying to have real conversations with him. And it, just as we see later on, this is a spoiler when he he is 
he gets in this position again, he just runs away. So she's probably spent her entire relationship never being able to have a real conversation with her husband. And that's what's caused the disconnect between them. And I mean, I I, I have more empathy for her, like as I watch the episode later on. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think it's also like, to feel like you're not allowed to have those feelings or that you're wrong for them. I think my my experience with this sort of is always I feel um, like if I'm not positive about everything that I must be ungrateful. Then mm. I'm just ungrateful. Like I'm a spoiled brat. I'm an entitled person if I don't always look at the bright side. Um, That's a I very like relatable that. feeling as well. Yeah. And, and I do. I mean, so this definitely happened in my childhood as well. You know, like like you don't have it so bad or like mm-hmm. um what are you complaining about and so also the other thing like you don't want to be pegged as a complainer that's always yep. my biggest fear is like okay they're going to think I'm complaining can i tell a quick story yes, on this real please. quick cuz this is a very i this is a very powerful topic so when my second son was born he was born almost 6 weeks early i'm going to start crying talking about this but he was um so having to leave a hospital without your child is one of the hardest things that you can go through in life. But the, but but then whenever they're in the NICU, it's a very complicated emotion as well because my son was born at six weeks and he was six pounds. So he looked like this huge baby and he just wasn't eating, right? But you're in a NICU and you're so heartbroken being there, but you're looking around you where people are losing their babies or yeah. their babies are born at like 25 weeks. And it's like, there's like so much sadness around you that you don't really feel like you are you have the privilege to even feel mm-hmm. your sad emotions and so during that situation i learned this phrase that whether you're drowning in 2 feet of water you're drowning in 6 you're still drowning and so you can't compare how how deep somebody's water is like you it's okay if you're drowning in 2 we- in yeah. 2 feet of water yeah oh absolutely i mean um I might start crying too. So Penny was 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 born on time, um, but at seven days old, we were back in the emergency room. It number she was the size of a football, and they're doing this like spinal oh. tap on her, and it like oh. I've never yeah, it was the most it was crazy. We ended up being in in the children's hospital for about a week. She ended up having meningitis, and but they test for a number of, anyway. She's seven weeks old or seven days old, seven days old, and we're there, and you know you don't leave want to leave her side. And same thing. I um, they had this little thing in her crib. It was like that like a Fisher Price toy that played Canon and D of all the things, you know, those like little like like classical music toys that they give kids. And I was like bawling. I'm like, am I ever going to see this kid's wedding day? You know, like, and then to your point, like not, oh my God, this episode's gonna be so sad. But then like the kids (laughs) on the floor who were older, like their parents didn't, um, couldn't stay with their kid the whole time and they were like six years old and they're like do you have to leave and they're like we have to go to work we don't have any choice and I was like oh I have nothing to complain about but like same thing I was like wait we this can all coexist (laughs) it's not a it's not a competition to the to the bottom or to the top you know and but it's really it's sort of that like well look on the bright side look on the bright side look on the bright side and yes some of that like you need to give yourself hope at times like i'm not saying there is a lot of power in optimism but i think it's also really dangerous when you don't allow yourself to feel what you feel 
Yeah. And not qualify it. Yeah. Oh my God. Whoa. Woo. Um, started this day off crying. I'm going to end this, this podcast off crying. But so, but in the workplace, like, look, I, um, toxic positivity does show up in the workplace too. And I think it's a little bit, it could show up in a couple different ways. One, um, oh, don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. And then that doesn't come with support or do- someone doesn't tell you how to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. That has like some bad effects. You also see like, it's probably not that bad. It's like, well, yeah, the situation is, bad. you know, can you imagine like if Sam was telling Ted Lasso about Jamie and then like Ted's like, well, Jamie's not that bad, you know, give it yeah. kind of, or like assume this was, I worked at an organization that, um, had really beautiful, really beautiful value statements. And I would say for the most part, people lived them. So that was a really good thing. But there were a few times where these value statements were like weaponized against you. So Mm -hmm. basically, and it was often when people just like didn't want to deal with conflict. So they're like, well, are you being optimistic? Because that's one of our values. (laughs) And it's like, I just told you I overheard this like racist conversation. Like, what like how tell me how you would like me well you need to assume good of people it's like yeah like yeah but i also like i heard what i heard you know like things like that um and so then it was weaponized and like if you weren't displaying those values were you actually sort of fitting into the culture and i i didn't i didn't really love that i mean i thought the values were really wait hold on you didn't love that situation it sounds like such a dream (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, but here's the thing. Like, I thought the I love the values. They resonate. They're gorgeous. I love that people actually live them. I did not love those moments where like tipped into toxic positivity to avoid conflict. Yeah, definitely. And your experiences are being invalidated. And we like, talk. We talk to organizations a lot about that. Like, you can have your you have your values, but what does this look like if they're weaponized? Because being like truthful and honest needs to trump all of that right like like being real and and authentic and honest that's value number one and and then yes be positive but you can't you you can't lie about being positive it and it's hard because like different people have different comfort levels being candid or direct and it's it's Mm -hmm. it's an art form and so you can imagine if you haven't perfected it it can come out like maybe you didn't practice what you were going to say, might be fumbling. And people like love to say like, that's negative or you're a complainer mm-hmm. or go find, come back to me with solutions. Now, I would say there are moments where that's true, where there are complainers who are negative, who just don't come up with solutions. But I'm talking the moments where you are, you have no choice but to raise an issue. And someone's like, well, just look on the bright side. Yeah. I know it is a hard balance. What would um, you do in that case? What do you, what do you advise people? Whenever they're the the to, like you don't know the level of toxicity. I mean, I think you have to address things head on. But but there also there are some people that have no internal locus of control. I think I might have talked about this before, and I and I do stand in the belief that that is the hardest thing. Like you can't really manage and you can't coach somebody who has a victim complex, mm. right? Like they've got to go on that journey on their own and there's nothing you can do about it. There, Whenever you're leading people, there are certain behaviors that 
that require a therapist and you are not a therapist right. and having a victim complex and feeling like, oh, woe is me. Like there's nothing I can do that will ever be right. Like that, that is not something you can lead, help somebody lead through. Focus more on the people that don't believe in themselves. You can help lead that situation. But I think that so yeah, there is, there is a balance of like asking yourself in that situation, like, is this the truth? And do we need to address it and do the right thing? Like, is yeah. this, is this, is this rubbing up against an integrity issue? And if it is, then go address it and deal with it. But if it's not, it's just somebody whining, then, I mean, you have to, you have to figure out for yourself in your own internal compass, which one is which. And there's not like, like that, that, that answer lies within yourself, I think. I think what helps me sometimes too, when um, I've had sort of these knee jerk reactions is like, I have, and this is the advice I would give other managers too, is like, ask yourself if you have a problem with the substance or the style. Is it what Ooh, is it what they're saying or how they're saying it? Now, how they're saying it, you can whatever, talk about, but it, what is it about what they're saying that's bothering you? But don't react to how, I mean, you got to react to all of it or whatever, but just people kind of get all that mixed up sometimes. And then if you don't know how to do it, ask yourself, think of someone that like one of your coworkers that you really love and say like, if that person told me the same thing, would I have the same reaction? Interesting. Yeah, and that's I, a really good piece of advice. Because I, I had that once. I was on a team and I, and I love my team, but I would always have like kind of a harsher reaction towards like one of my team members that came to me with like feedback and stuff. And then you realized you hated them. I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. no. What actually was, it was, I mean, I think I felt a bit threatened. Like I felt like, wait a minute, like I just got here. Like I'm trying to build a team. Like I get it. Like it was a lot of my own insecurities, right? Like, but I had to ask myself, am I reacting to the substance of what they're saying or their style and why mm. and why does it bother me? And when like none of it made sense because I was like all in my feelings, I'd be like, what if this other team member had said the same thing? Would I have reacted the same way? Probably not. And so therefore I know it's kind of on it's me. me. It's a me issue. It's a me issue. Yeah. I read it. Um... I'm going to leave with one thing that I find that really helps people as well is that it's because I taught, I teach a lot about like radical candor and confrontation conversations. Mm -hmm. And it's something that people don't realize that they need to learn a lot more of. So when you're entering those conversations, especially if you're unsure, just like go in with the, with the intent of, I don't understand that other person's perspective. And I'm going to ask a question. This is my perspective. What is yours? Let's learn together and try to get a more complete picture. And, and if you ever feel like you're in this space where you're like, I need to go tell this person a piece of my mind, that's also a good indicator that you're not approaching it in the right way. It should always be with the intention of learning the other person's perspective. It's easier said than done, especially if you, you're all heated about something, but, but it'll help you guide that conversation to a more healthy place. Absolutely. I mean, I would always say, yeah, like lead with curiosity, like when, especially when you're angry, it's like, you're not probably going to resolve this until you fully understand. And even if you're like, well, I know what they were thinking. And I know <laughs> their intentions, like maybe, maybe. Don't make but, decisions for another person. Yeah. I think it's like, hey, I'd love to hear sort of what you were thinking when you were sure, or like, what, what's your perspective on that? Or how did you think that meeting went? To your point, like you got to kind of hear them out. Uh, to to disarm yourself, to let yourself cool down a little bit and sort of let another opinion other than your own enter the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> 
And just to wrap us up with Ted Lasso, I think yes. that this is really interesting too, is that you actually see Ted Lasso very skillfully do this with Jamie Tart. So he goes through that, he starts with the process where he's like asking questions and trying to get to know him, try to understand his motivations. And that is the first step. But, but then when none of that is working, then he has a more stern approach, right? Where he takes action and like lets him know that he's serious. So I do think there is a place where you have to take action. And sometimes you do have to fire people, right? Yeah. But, it, but you can feel okay at taking that action if you skillfully did the first few steps. Yeah. And that's like how we opened this up, right? That that line that you said that he says, like, I, you know, I promised myself I would never quit anything when he's talking to his wife as, as she's about to get in the cab to go back to the airport. And she's like, you aren't quitting. You're just letting me go. I think it's a lot of knowing when it's time to let go. And in yeah. that case, knowing when it's time to whether it's like bench Jamie Tart or realize like I've done all I can if I keep doing this, it's actually going to cause more harm to the team or to myself or to others or to people I love, you know, however you want to take this <laughs> Ted Lasso advice. But there's something really nice to sort of know the difference between quitting and letting go. Yes, absolutely. And it's okay to let go. It's totally okay. You don't have to white knuckle your way through life or yeah. through leadership or management. Um, be, you know, be in charge of the energy. And this is a final quote. He goes, this is what life's all about, embracing change so that everyone in life can move forward with theirs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really, yeah. Until you do, right? What are you holding back and what, do, what, what room will you create for yourself and others? That's lovely. Whew, deep episode, everybody. Thanks for crying with us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, thank you, everybody. So we'll see you next time for Ted Lasso Season 1, Episode 6. And we appreciate you listening. Feel free to reach out and share questions or thoughts about maybe any upcoming seasons or shows you'd like us to cover. See you all soon. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we want to keep the conversation going. Share your leadership stories with us, whether they're dreams come true or some nightmares you want to talk through. You can visit us at poponleadership.com or over at Instagram at poponleadership. And a very special thanks to our friends and family who have supported us from the beginning and to Pam Rodriguez who helped make this crazy dream a reality. Thank you. See you next time.